<clears throat> Thank you, for Hannah, for playing that for us. Well, praise the Lord. It is a, a joy to be gathered once again together this afternoon. Um, enjoyed the opportunity to fellowship and um, visiting with you all and excited for this afternoon time together and for what God wants to speak to us and to do in our hearts and lives in this time together. I'd just like to also pray and just ask God to, to have his way in this afternoon time. Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you so much for your goodness and mercy. Thank you that because of what your son, Lord Jesus, has done, we can say it as well with our soul. And we thank you for that. What, a, what an immeasurable gift. May we never lose the wonder of it all. May we never lose the wonder of what you've done for us through Christ. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness and mercy. We pray you would come now and work in our hearts by your spirit. We pray you take this truth that is so important for our lives as believers, so important for our progress in our walk with God, and would you burn it on our hearts, and would you give us the grace to respond in the way that you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, if you have your Bible, if you could turn over to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> and we're going to be getting there in just a minute, the book of Hebrews chapter 12, and because the message that I want to share this afternoon in many ways goes hand in hand, actually, with the message I shared this morning. The two are very much connected. And when I first introduced the topic, you might be like, well, I don't know if I see the connection, but I actually believe one in some ways comes out of the other, and <clears throat> both are, are so important. And I would say what we're going to look at this afternoon is what I would say is if it's not the number one thing, it has to be in the top three things that actually hold us back in our walk with the Lord, that hold us back in experiencing intimacy in our fellowship with him. If I, if I were to say, as I've, as I've worked with, um, with, with, with a lot of young people doing different retreats, as I've worked in, in, in prison, doing different programs that way, as, as I've worked with families, and as I've, as, as I've been in different churches, if I, and, and, and worked with myself, if I could put it that way, and my own struggle with this, I would say this is the number one thing. If it's not the number one, it's in the top three things that holds us back in progressing forward in our walk with God and becomes a tremendous hindrance to us in ways that I think sometimes we don't even realize. And I think what we're going to see and what we're going to look at is we're going to see that actually this is a root of so many other things in our lives. And if we allow God to touch this root, and it does go deep. In some ways, it's a heavier topic this afternoon because it does touch something really deep in our hearts and lives, something that can go really deep. But there can also be a tremendous amount of freedom that can come when we allow the Lord to deal with this area in our life. And as you may have guessed, the area that I'm going to look at is, is harboring and holding on to bitterness. I would say there's very few things that, that, that holds us back more in our walk with God than harboring and holding on to bitterness. You know, I, I heard someone define bitterness, and I think this is part of what it is, is, is part of what bitterness is, is, is it's a wound that you've never allowed the Lord to heal that it's a wound I've never allowed the Lord to heal. Because here's the reality. We've all been hurt, right? What I've seen is the prerequisite for someone being hurt is the fact they've been born. <laughs> and what I mean by that is obviously God didn't originally intend it to be that way, right? But because we live in a sin-fallen world and we, we, we face hurts, we've all been hurt. We've all faced hurts and difficulties in our lives. We've all, we've all had hurts happen. The problem is, We've often not responded to those hurts properly, and the result has been a root of bitterness springing up in our heart and life. So the question is, well, what would be the right way to respond to hurt? What does God want us to do with hurt? Well, he actually wants us to take it straight to him. 
when a hurt comes in our life, whether it's something someone says or something something does or doesn't do or something happens in our life that's hurtful, God wants us to run straight to him, to take the hurt to him. Scripture says, casting all your cares upon him because, listen, he cares for you. And he cares for me, he cares for us. And so he knows and he cares and we can take our hurts to him and he can touch us in the way that only he can. And he can bring the healing that only he can bring when we take those hurts to him. The problem is though, oftentimes we don't take our hurts to the Lord. Instead of, because what God wants us to do when the hurt comes is run straight to him with it for healing and for his deliverance. But the problem is oftentimes what we do instead, we hold on to it and we start to think about it. I don't know if you've ever done this. I have. I think we all have. Where someone hurts us, and then you start playing it over and over again. I can't believe what they said. I can't believe what they did. How could they say that? How could they do They don't even know what they said hurt me. You know what that could they? How, how could they say that? How could they do that? Do they not know by not doing that? How's that hurt? Anybody had the instant replays going on in your head? You know, where it's just going on and on and on. How could they? And I can't believe it. Don't they know? And they don't even understand. And slowly, as, as, as we start to mull it over in our mind and we keep the replay of what happened, I can't believe what they said and I can't believe what they did. By the way, if this sounds like it's connected with murmuring, it's because it is. In, in some ways, murmuring is the seed and the ground that bitterness grows from, right? Because the hurt comes, but then I'm like, oh, I can't believe, how could they? And I, they don't even know, can't believe, they don't even know, right? And, and slowly, that bitterness starts to take a hold on us, right? It starts to be, it starts to take, if I could put it this way, a stronghold on a heart and life. Like, like, like it begins to, to, to tremendously impact our lives in a negative way. And I, I think very few passages in the Bible show us more the impact that bitterness can than Hebrews 12 does um, in verse 15. There's other passages that give examples and stuff, but Hebrews 12 gives such a clear explanation of what bitterness can do to our lives. So well, actually, let's go back to verse 14. And so this is Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 14. It says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. So in verse 15, we see it says, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. So first of all, it says looking diligently. We need to be on our guard for this. We need to be looking. We need to be watching because bitterness can creep in so easily. It can creep in without us realizing. In other words, oftentimes I don't think we're like something happens. Like, I'm going to get bitter. Like that's not usually how it is. It creeps in because we start to mull it over and we start to think about it and we start to talk it over with other people that will agree with our side of it and, 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 and it festers into bitterness. And all of a sudden, one day we wake up and realize, whoa, there's bitterness in my life and I didn't even realize it. That's why I think it says looking diligently. I remember once I was doing a retreat for young people and, um, or, or I, was, I was helping a group of young men on a team as we were, and we were working through bitterness and forgiveness and I sent the guys out, take some personal time over it and I thought, well, I, since I'm sending them out, I probably should too. And I had worked through some bitterness stuff and forgiveness stuff in the past, but I thought, well, since I'm sending them out to work on it, I should too. So I went down and started working on it. And you gotta watch out, God starts searching your heart. And he, and he pointed out an area of bitterness that I had in my heart and life that I didn't even realize. And once he pointed it out, it's like, wow, I should have seen that. And I had to forgive myself, and I'm not forgiving myself, I had to forgive somebody. I needed to work through it myself, forgiving somebody that had hurt me. 
See, so what I guess what I'm saying is, is we have to look diligently because sometimes the bitterness can be there without us even realizing it. And we have to watch. Sometimes we can think, oh, I did that. I dealt with that in the past, but it can spring back up. It says, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. Jack, what does that mean? How is it that you fail the grace of God? Well, we're really simply not getting into a lot of detail there, but here's what I think this is part of what it's getting at, is when someone hurts us, maybe they say something, maybe they do something, it's hurtful. It's like God is ready with a reservoir or a truckload of his grace that he just wants to pour out on us to give us the grace to respond right to the situation, to not get bitter and not get angry. And and, and the grace is right there. And he wants to just pour it out on us if we'll receive it. But when I get, if, if, if instead of receiving the Lord's grace and saying right now in the midst of this hurts, yes, this hurts. Yes, it's hard. But God, with Thanksgiving, I receive your grace and I trust you in this. Then we access it. But if instead, when the hurt comes, like, I can't believe it. How could they do that? Man. And what happens is, is, is we resist the grace. We, the grace is there, but we don't access it, right? By the way, the fault's not on God's. It's on us, right? God's offering it. He wants to pour his grace out to us. But if I don't receive it, in many ways, I fail the grace of God. I don't receive it in that situation. I think that's part of what it's getting at here. I, 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 and so it says, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, Lest any, and this is one of the most important things that we can know about bitterness right now, I think for, for, for understanding what I'm getting at here is, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. But one of the first things we learn here in bit about bitterness is it is a root. Now, I'm not a botanist and I haven't done a lot of gardening, but where do roots normally, where are they? They're underground, right? Good, yeah, you know, that's right. It's underground. In other words, it's below the surface. In other words, you don't see the root. You just see the fruit and the plant and the other things. But, excuse me, you don't see the root. You just see the fruit. And I think sometimes, here's here's why this is so important, is sometimes we see the negative fruit of bitterness in our life and we think that's the problem. So we just deal with the fruit, but we miss the root. So the fruit keeps coming back. I don't know if you've been there, but the fruit keeps coming. Man, I've been picking fruit as fast, bad fruit as fast as I can, and it keeps coming. It's because there's a root. Now, wouldn't it be more productive to deal with the root? Can you imagine instead of picking the bad fruit, if you just dug the whole tree up, right? This is, this is the way God does, right? He digs deep and deals with things on a root level, but oftentimes it's supposed to be the fruit. What, what do I mean by this? So let, me, let me try to give some examples to, to help flesh this out. You know, sometimes someone could say, man, I just feel like I just have this, this anger problem, and that anger, I can just blow up in anger so easy, and what is this? There can be different reasons for that, but sometimes what it is, is the root of bitterness. Sometimes it can be, sometimes it can be, man, I feel like when I go to, 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 to seek the Lord, there's just this coldness and there's distance between us and him. What is that? I think there can be different reasons for that as well, but it can often be a root of bitterness. Um, there can be a, um, uh, there can be a coldness between you and someone else that, that's supposed to be maybe in a family situation or in, or in a marriage. And it's like, they're, they're supposed to, this relationship is supposed to be close and, and there's a coldness and there's a hardness. And what is this? So often, so often, it's a root of bitterness. You know, it's interesting because bitterness becomes a root and a gateway into other sin if we let it. Because look at what it says in our passage in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15, it says, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. And then it gives an example of bitterness. It says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person who, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. 
So it gives Esau as the example seemingly of bitterness, but the other thing it tells us about Esau is that he was a fornicator and that he was a profane person. So there seems to be a connection here between moral impurity and bitterness. See, I think here's where how bitterness becomes a gateway to other sin. I believe bitterness becomes a gateway to other sin when I go to anyone other than Jesus to deal with my pain. Bitterness becomes a gateway into other sin when I go to anyone or anything other than Jesus to deal with my sin. For some people, it's substance abuse. There's so much pain and hurt in their life, and they just go to the bottle to try to drown the pain. Sometimes it's drugs. They take drugs just to try to drown the pain. For other people, then then there's the more acceptable forms of what people do. Work. Some people just become workaholics. They'll work 80 hours a week because they're just trying to drown the pain. For other people, it's music. The earbuds are always in. The radio is always playing. They're always listening to something because it's in the silence and the stillness that they think about the pain. And you know, that's such a tremendous trap of the enemy because you know what the scripture says? Be still and know that I am God. And so all the noise and all the busyness and all the activity, but so often the reason it's there, it's to drown out the pain. There was somebody that, that attended a retreat that we were doing for young people. And one of the things we talked about was dealing with bitterness and forgiveness. And they, they talked about, and they shared this openly in their testimony with the, with the group that they had, they had to struggle with bitterness. And they said that, that they, they, so they started to, um, to listen to, to music all the time to try to drown out the pain. They always had the earbuds in, just listening to music all the time to try to drown out the pain. But of course, that didn't bring healing. Um, and, and so then they began to cut themselves, thinking if they afflicted pain on the outside, it could deal with the pain on the inside. But that, of course, didn't bring healing. But finally, they came to a place of forgiveness. And they shared a verse from Psalm. I believe they forgave and released the person that, that had hurt them. And they shared a verse from Psalms about the Lord being the one that heals us. See, bitterness becomes a gateway and under sin when I go to anything other than anyone or anything other than Jesus to deal with my pain. Whether someone goes to moral impurity or substance abuse or work or entertainment, if I go to anything other than Jesus to deal with my pain, in many ways, that thing becomes an idol in my life. Because what are we supposed to do with our pain? We're supposed to bring it to Jesus and allow him to heal us and to touch us in the way that only he can. And if we do that and we allow him to touch us and we allow him to heal us, there can be intimacy cultivated between us and him in that healing process that couldn't have come any other way. But will we open? Really, the question is, will we open this part of our heart to the Lord, allowing him to touch us in these areas? But we need to see bitterness as a root. <clears throat> so oftentimes we see the fruit, but we need to allow God to get down to the root. I heard a story of somebody um, who, was a, who had done a lot of counseling. I mean, this person had done so much spiritual warfare type counseling um, and helped so many hundreds of people get, get free from, from different um, just bondages of sin in their life. And, and they were talking to another person who had written lots of books about bondage and, 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 and dealing with bondage and darkness and, and all this stuff. And, 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 and these two men were talking. They had been both done, I mean, had a tremendous amount of experience counseling. And they were talking together, and I heard later about their conversation, but they were talking together. And as they talked, they said, both of them said, I think that as best they could tell, one of them said, except for maybe one case of all the, I'm sure hundreds, probably thousands of people they counseled, when it boiled down, every person they counseled with, part of the root was bitterness. Isn't that amazing? Two men that had spent their lives in spiritual warfare counseling, and they said it was bitterness was at the root of almost every one of them. There were other things, of course but this was part of the root. This is a big deal in our lives, right? And so, so and what does scripture say about it? It says it's springing up. It troubles us. And that's so true. 
I love how the Bible's so true, right? It's so accurate. It's so true of how it is that, that, that when we start holding on to bitterness, it begins to trouble us. It begins to, it begins to trouble our lives. It comes between us and the Lord, right? It hinders us in our fellowship with him. We go to the word and we're trying to read the word and I can't believe what they said and I can't believe what they did and how could they and man, how could God and, and just, and, 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 it, and it troubles us. It troubles us in our walk with God. It also defiles many. Isn't that interesting? That's the other side of it. That's the other thing, just like murmuring. The reason is because the two go together. These two are very much linked. Just like murmuring, when I hold on to bitterness, it doesn't just affect me, it affects those around me too. Because we tend, bitter people, bitterness, we tend to want a massive following. We tend to want to find other people that agree with us. And usually they're not people part of the cause or part of the solution, but they're people that will take our side. Oh, did you hear? Can you believe? Did you have? And then there's this, you know, so sometimes, I think oftentimes, there can be different times where even social media and other things can be a place where bitter people are able to sound off to each other. Bitterness tends to breed bitterness. And so uh, it gives two things. First of all, I need to be careful to what I'm listening to and who I'm hanging around because it is so easy to take up an offense for somebody else. So be careful what I'm listening to, but then be careful of guarding my own soul. Because if I'm harboring and holding on to bitterness, it's not just going to damage me. That's the, that's the thing about bitterness. It damages those around me. So, so, so where does freedom from bitterness come from. We're going to get to that, but we need to see that it's a root. It's below the surface. So we oftentimes we don't see the root. We just see the fruit. We've seen that it troubles us and it's seen that many are defiled by it and that bitterness becomes a gateway into other sin. When I go to anyone other than Jesus, anyone or anything other than Jesus to deal with the pain, you know, it says in Second Corinthians, this is, this is, when I saw this in the scripture, I was like, wow, it just highlighted to me the seriousness and the importance of what we're talking about. Second Corinthians 2, 10 through 11 says, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Did you hear what was just said there? It said where, where he said, if, if, basically, I believe what, what Paul was saying here is if, if I'm forgiven, because if I don't forgive, Satan gets the advantage. In other words, if I hold on to bitterness, it's like I give Satan the high ground, right? Because the reality is Satan's a defeated foe. Jesus Christ overcame him at the cross, right? The victory's been won. The enemy's been defeated. So the only ground that Satan can have in our lives as believers is the ground we give him. And sometimes the ground we give is through bitterness, if we allow, it's almost like a bitterness is like, it would be like, maybe this is a good, this is, this is an easy, this is an easy picture to have here in Texas in July, is that it's 120 degrees outside and you're in the air side and you've got the air conditioning and you've got the air conditioner set at 70 and it just feels amazing, you know, and, and then you leave the window just to crack open. What happens? The heat starts to come in, right? The insidious, humid, hot heat starts to come in in many ways. It's like when I harbor and hold on to bitterness, it's like re leaving a crack open where it allows the enemy to bring in the bondage of, 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 of so many different areas of anger and, 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 and bind us up in other areas and come between us and the Lord and us, uh, us and other people if we allow that crack of bitterness in our soul. You know, Scripture talks about how that not only... Does it trouble us? But others are defiled by our bitterness. And I think this is part of the reason that God takes it so seriously. And, and what I want to do is, 
is before we look at God's victorious solution and God has a way for us to be free from bitterness. I think sometimes we get used, so used to holding on to it that we actually forget that like we don't have to. That's just a way of freedom. You don't have to carry it. But before we do, I want to quickly look at what I'm going to call a portrait of bitterness in the Bible. Somebody in the scriptures that I think illustrates bitterness so well and you see it in their life and you're like, wow, you can, I think, see it really clearly. So let's turn to the book of Esther, <coughs> the book of Esther. You're like, Esther was bitter? No, we're actually not going to look at Esther. I like Esther in this case. We're going to look in the book of Esther, though, because the person that I believe illustrates bitterness, you see it embodied so well, is actually in the life of Haman. Now, now, scripture, I want to hasten to say scripture never directly says Haman was bitter. Okay? So I'm, but I'm concluding that from reading the story of Esther, and I'm guessing you all are familiar with the story of Esther, so I'm not going to give you the whole story of Esther, because I think you're already familiar. It's a very familiar story, and I know you guys know your Bibles. So you know the story of Esther as a whole. So I'm going to pull Haman out as a snapshot or a picture of the impact that bitterness can have on our lives if we harbor it, if we hold on to it, if we let it, the impact that it can have. So although scripture never directly says Haman was bitter, I think you'll agree by the end of, the, of us looking at his life, we're going to say, boy, Haman was one bitter man. So Esther chapter, let's start. We're just going to pick it right up in the middle of the story. Hopefully you know the story of Esther. You don't know the story of Esther. After this message, go read through the whole book. Absolutely powerful story that will deeply impact your life. But I think you're all already familiar with it. So we're going to pick up the story of Haman right in the middle of the story of Esther here. So chapter three, verse five. Okay, so remember um, Haman, he was high up in the king's court. Everybody was supposed to bow to him. But of course, Mordecai wouldn't because Mordecai only bows to the, rightly so, because Mordecai only bows to the one true God. And when Haman saw that, this is verse five, chapter three, verse five. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. Then was Haman full of wrath. I think in many ways, there's where you see the, the, the bitterness. He was full of wrath. And he thought, scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of the Hasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Isn't this incredible? Have you, have you ever read this passage and thought, whoa, take it easy, Haman? Like you think about this seemingly small offense of him not bowing and Haman's lion-sized, almost oversized, outsized, I mean, just attack where he doesn't bow and he says, kill him and his whole people group. Have you ever read that? that whoa, I mean, we know he says he was full of wrath, but there seemed to be something deeper here. Have you ever read that? that what was it that caused him to have such a response? We, we see down in verse eight, it says, and Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of that kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. And so Haman comes up with this whole plot to kill the Jews. Like, whoa, Haman, what's going on? Why the lion-sized, oversized, bitter response? Well, this is interesting. As I looked into this, I think, because obviously we, we, we see probably the offense and the bitterness that came as a result of that, but I think there was something deeper. I think there was a bitterness. Now, this is conjecture. I understand. This is conjecture from looking at the passage. But I think there was a deeper root of bitterness here. Because have you ever, this is so interesting, if you trace Haman's lineage, it makes me wonder if there was almost a generational bitterness that had been passed down here. Because listen to this. Haman, okay, so Haman was a descendant of the Amalekites, 
right? So the, the, basically the, the, the understanding of his history was that he was, if you, if you trace it back, that the Amalekites would, because of the connection of um, Agag, it talks about Haman the Agagite, right? And so the assumption was that he descended from Agag, right? Which would then be a descendant of the, obviously Agag was an Amalekite. But do you remember who the Amalekites descended from? The Amalekites descended from because Haman was a descendant of the Amalekites who was a descendant of Esau's grand, because Esau's grandson was Amalek. So if that's an accurate lineage, then that means because they, they don't know for sure that the fact that he was an Agagite meant that he was um, related to King Agag, but that would be the assumption. And if that's the case, then that means that Haman descended from Esau. Now, isn't that interesting? Who did we look in our Hebrews passage was the example given of bitterness, of the root of bitterness springing up and troubling and many being defiled, then who does it give as the example? Esau. Isn't that interesting? The example given of bitterness is Esau, right? And now it looks here like Haman was a descendant of Esau. Now, let me ask you this. Who do you think Esau was bitter against? Had to be Jacob, right? I mean, just assuming we know there was some result that came between the brothers, but it doesn't seem like there was a full result. And so the assumption is that the bitterness that, 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 that he had would have been against Esau, would have had been against his brother Jacob. Wait a second. Who did Mordecai descend from? He's a Jew. The Jews came from Jacob, right? And so do you see, Now I know this is conjecture. Scripture doesn't directly say this, but the question is, was part of the reason that there was such a lion-sized bitter response by Haman, a generational bitterness that had been passed down that you could trace back to Jacob and Esau? It's interesting to consider. And can bitterness, you know, you, sometimes you see how bitterness can be, you know, somebody said what parents allow in moderation, the children will excuse in excess, and if bitterness is not dealt with, it can go from generation to generation to generation till generation until finally someone says enough is enough. It's ending here. And they can stop it. But it can get passed down. Is that what happened here? Was it a bitterness that got passed down and passed down? And was Haman's lion-sized response the result of a deep-rooted bitterness? You know, as the story goes on, as we look at the life of Haman, you know, you, you remember Haman, he... Uh, he starts in, 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 in chapter five, he comes back and he's boasting to his wife and to his friends about all that he has, his power and his prestige. And um, if, we, if you look in verse 11, actually, uh, yeah, verse 11, it says, and Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman said, moreover, yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet with that she had prepared but myself. And by the way, if he knew why he was getting invited to these banquets, he wouldn't be boasting about it. But, and tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. Okay. So he's talking about, I have power and I have money and I have prestige and I have position. But then listen to what he says. He says in verse 13, yet all this availeth me nothing. An amazing statement. He says, look at all I have, riches and wealth, everything humanly speaking a person could want, and none of it matters. All this availeth me nothing as long as Mordecai the Jew sitteth in the king's gate. Now I have a question. Who was getting eaten up by Haman's bitterness? Haman. Isn't it amazing? It's everything you could want. And he says, none of it matters because Mordecai sits in the king's gate. He's still alive. 
Isn't that amazing? See, bitterness can skew us and keep us from seeing the love and the blessing and the goodness of God. You know, and, and I, I know in looking at Haman, we're looking at an extreme example. But boy, I do think sometimes in our lives as believers, when you start harboring and holding on to bitterness, it starts to get hard to give thanks. Because all you can think about is what they said and what they did. And I didn't deserve for them to do that. And I can't believe and And, 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 it, and it becomes our, our focus. I'm like, but look, and I, someone says, look what all God's blessed you with. And look what he's given you. And look at what he's, and it's like, but look at what they did to me. Do you see how the bitterness blinds us? It's like, but look at all the love and goodness of God and look at his mercy and look at his grace and look what he did for you on the cross. But look what they did to me. Do you see how we can keep holding it in front of our face and we can miss out on so much? Haman says, all this avails me nothing as long as he lives. But boy, the person getting eaten up by seemingly Haman's bitterness was Haman. This is interesting. Chapter six. This is an interesting note on bitterness. In chapter six, Verse one, it says, um, on that night, I know we're just looking at snapshots, but I think you're familiar with the overall story. It says, on that night, could not the king sleep? And they commanded to bring the book of records of the Chronicles that they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Big, Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that minister unto him, there's nothing done for him. And the king said, who is in the court? Now I need to stop for a moment and consider. That's a good question. Remember, he couldn't sleep. And so the assumption is that this is the middle of the night or it's the wee hours of the morning, right? Because usually it takes a little while for you to realize you can't sleep. You know, you toss and you turn and you toss and you turn. And finally it's like, okay, I can't sleep. And she's like, come read to me. Um, and so it, it, probably it's the middle of the night, right? Assumedly, or the wee hours of the morning, okay? And so here he is, we assumingly, in the middle of the night, or the wee hours of the morning, and he says, who is in the king's court? Isn't that a good question? Who would be in the king's court at this hour, right? Who would be in the king's court, possibly in the middle of the night, or the wee hours of the morning? What could have been on their heart so heavily, and what important matter could they have to address that they would be in the king's court at this hour? That's a really good question. Who is in the court? Guess who? It says in verse four, and the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman was coming to the outward court of the king's house. What business could he have that seemed to kept him up at night and had him there first thing in the morning to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him? You wonder, did Haman's bitterness keep him up at night? Had this become the meditation of Haman's heart? What has become the meditation of our heart? You know, scripture says, as he thinks in his heart, this is in Proverbs 23, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, one of the reasons bitterness can gain such a strong hold on us is because it starts to become our thought pattern. We start to think on it a lot. And we meditate on it, and we think on it, and we think on it, and we think on it. And it seems that maybe his bitterness kept him up at night. And here he is in the king's court looking for one thing, revenge. It seems his bitterness was eating him up. Well, what was the end of it? Well, and for, and we, you, you know the story in chapter 7. His, his plot is exposed. Um, and listen to what it says in chapter 9. It says, and after his plot exposed, and there's this dramatic moment. Esther says, this is the man and all the things that transpired there. And, and finally, it says, in Harbanoah, one of the chamberlains said before the king, behold also the gallows 50 cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. 
So who hung on the gallows of Haman's bitterness and revenge? Haman. Somebody said once, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. The person that destroys is me. You know, I think it was Corey Temun that says, forgiveness releases a prisoner, and you realize that prisoner was you. See, the person being destroyed by Haman's bitterness was Haman. And you know who's destroyed by our bitterness? Us. Right? That, that when we harbor and we hold on to bitterness, the one that's actually hindered, the one that's actually held back is us. And I, I think sometimes our solution, you know, usually oftentimes we try our solution and finally realize that doesn't work and then we go to God's solution. Oftentimes our solution is to try kind of a human version of forgiveness. Like we start to realize, oh, this bitterness is a problem and I need to deal with this. You know, this, is, this is eating my life up. This is, I, I'm, I'm letting what they did control my life. This is wrong. And so then what we do is our solution, our human solution to deal with bitterness is to stuff it. I'm just moving on. I'm just going to forget what you, I'm not going to let this rule my life. I'm just going to stuff it and move on. I'm going to go on. I'm going to try to forget it happened. I'm just going to stuff it and move on. I am moving on with my life. And we think we forgave. It's like, wait a second. No, no. Because what happens when we do that? It's kind of like if I said, boy, I don't want this seed to grow. Boy, I don't want the seed to grow. So I stuff it in the dirt. That is its best environment for growing. And sometimes we take those hurts and we stuff them. I'm going to move on. And we just planted it and it starts to grow up in our life. Some of realize, like, I've moved on. It's like, well, then why does the bitterness still have such a hold on my life? It's because it was planted into my heart. And so we need to allow the Lord to root out this bitterness. So <clears throat> what is God's victorious solution? Where does true freedom from bitterness, because obviously just stuffing it and moving on is not enough. God doesn't want us to just stuff it. He actually wants us to forgive the person, and he actually wants to heal it. See, the difference is huge. The difference between just stuffing it and allowing the Lord to touch us and bring healing in that area are huge. I remember, so I've been in and out of prison since I was in my early 20s, doing ministry. Um, <laughs> everybody's like, what? Um, doing ministry, and I was doing some prison ministry, and I remember this was years ago, and um, I was in my early 20s. I'm 31 now. I was in my early 20s. We were doing ministry down in, in Florida, in central Florida, and I was going into a prison for men 50 years and older, okay? So it was, it was, everybody in the prison was at least 50 years and older, which is a little bit intimidating as a 20, 22, 3, I don't remember how old I was, kind of 24-year-old kid, knowing that everybody that I was going to minister to was like twice my age or more, okay? And so um, for our small group time, we would go and we'd have the, the other, we'd have small groups, then we'd have also group sessions. And so, but we had like double the number of inmates we were expecting show up. So I had like 17 people in my small group, right? And, and we're all sitting around, and, and, and we were going around, and right at the beginning of the week, we have each of them just share whether or not they're saved, if they got saved, how they came to know the Lord, and if they're not saved, to share that. And so, so they, 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 we're going around, and, and we got to this one man. I remember he was sitting there, and I asked him, you know, you know we, we got to him to share, and, and he looked up, and, and, he, and he was blind in one eye, but he, but he looked up with his one eye, and he said, I'm here because I'm lost. And then he hung his head. And I thought, boy, I'm glad you're here because I'm here because I know a savior. Hallelujah. And so I thought, boy, I want to talk to him. So throughout the week, I kept thinking, wow, it'd be neat if I could have a chance to talk to this man. You know, so I kind of waiting, waiting. Is there going to be an opportunity, you know? And, and it just kept not working out, but God had just the right time. God knew just the right. Aren't you glad God knows the right time for things? And so as it kept not working out, because he would always sit right in the middle of the group with the other men around him. So I didn't have a good chance to just kind of talk to him before or after a session. And so, um, but, but, but towards the end of the week, I looked and there wasn't anyone sitting next to him. And so I, I went amongst the other men and I sat down next to him and I said, how are you? And he turned out fine. And and I asked him a profound spiritual question. I asked him how the retreat had been for him. <laughs> no, it wasn't a profound, it was just a simple question. 
And he said, he looked at me and he said, it's actually been really hard. And then he began to weep. And it wasn't like a few tears. It was like, ooh. And he began to weep. And the other man looking back, what did he say to him? Um, I just weeping. I said, do you want to talk? And he said, yes. And we went and we, we went to the back of the room there. And we, him and I, we sat down and we started to talk. And this man, just tears, just streaming down his face. So much hopelessness in his face. His life, he just started to pour out from his life. It just had been just eaten up with moral impurity. And that's part of the reason he was in prison. He had been in and out of prison. And his life was just full of moral impurity. And as we had gone through this retreat that we were doing with them, we covered some of those issues. And he said, I thought you must have known what I had done and been speaking directly to me. We hadn't a clue what he had done, but guess what? There was one in heaven who knew exactly what he had done and was speaking directly to him. And he was there weeping, and he just had so much, so much moral bondage uh, and failure in his life, and he just was weeping. And, and finally, after just sharing just all his, so many of his struggles and the dark things he had been through, he looked at me and he said, I so badly want to surrender to the Lord, but I can't, and I don't know why. I thought, boy, neither do I. <laughs> I just was like, Lord, like now's that time when wisdom from above is supposed to come. Like now, like, um, and I thought, you know, sometimes if there's been involvement in the occult or other things in the, that that can give ground over to the enemy. And I wondered if maybe there had been some things because clearly the enemy was had this guy in bondage. And so I started asking him if he'd been had involvement in some of those things. It turned out, yes, he had. The last time he'd before he'd come to prison, he'd started getting involved in some of those things and. Um, and so I said, okay, here's what I think you need to do. I said, I think you need to confess those things to the Lord. You need to claim the blood of Jesus over him. And you need to cry out to God for deliverance. He's like, okay. So he, he bowed his head there and he was, he was wanting, he was willing to do that. And so he bowed his head and he said, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. And I was like, okay, be a little more specific. Um, what I meant was pray from your heart. And then he did. Then he really began to pray from his heart and he began to confess these things to the Lord. And after he finished confessing them, he stopped. Remember, what, what, what did I say he was supposed to do next? claim the blood of Jesus over it. And he said, he sat there and he struggled and he struggled and he struggled and he looked at me with his one eye and he said, this is so hard. Ooh, see, the enemy was losing his grip. And finally, he said, I claim the blood of Jesus over it. And I don't think I will ever forget the next words out of his mouth. He said, I claim the blood of Jesus over it. I forgive my dad. I thought, whoa. See, he thought the real bondage in his life was moral impurity, but I think the real bondage in his life was bitterness towards his dad. See, I think that was the root of his issue, and I hadn't even thought of that, but praise God, the Holy Spirit's a wonderful counselor, and he had, and he touched on it in this guy's life. Boys, I've worked with a lot of people. I've seen this is so often at the root. It's amazing how many people I've worked with, young and old alike. And when it boiled it down, one of the bitterness was at the root, and one major area of bitterness was towards dad. So often, or towards mom. You know why part of the reason I think this is? Is because scriptures talks about Malachi that God's hearts that turn hearts of the fathers to the children, and the children to the fathers, lest he smite the land with a curse. And so, of course, the enemy's going to come and try to bring division between parent and child. You know, I've worked with a lot, of, a lot of young people that were dealing with and needing to work through forgiveness of their parents. But then I've worked with parents that needed to work through bitterness towards their children. You know, like bitterness towards their children? Well, well here's the way it looked. Is that, because here's the thing. I think sometimes people think, oh, I'm not bitter towards them because I love them. 
right? But here's the thing. Actually, it's those that are the closest to us that can actually hurt us the worst. What I mean by that is if it's just some Joe Blow on the street and they say something to you, you're like, I don't care. But if it's somebody that you love and that you care about and you're supposed to have a close relationship and they say something hurtful or do something hurtful, it hurts way more. As a matter of fact, the depth of your relationship with them and love for them causes it to hurt more. I think this is why the scripture says, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Because if you were to look in the scripture and you were to say, what were some of the main institutions God put in place? Well, you would say marriage, right? would be, of course, a huge one. And the scripture says, watch out, don't let bitterness in. Oh, another one, of course, would be between parents and children, right? God wants to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. Where does the enemy come in? Try to bring bitterness. Those two areas. And then the third area I would see, I've seen bitterness, is bitterness where people get bitter because they were hurt by somebody in a church and or somebody else in, in their church. And they're like, and they get bitter and they get angry and, and, and there's division that's caused. Because what's the other thing? Another one of God's institutions was the body of Christ. Where does he, he tries to come in? He tries to come in and bring in hurts and there starts to be a dividing. So many churches split, not over key doctrinal issues, but over unresolved bitterness between different people in the church. You see how the enemy tries to come in. And if he can get a voice, the scary thing is if I hold on to the bitterness, I become that voice. Now, that's a sobering thing, whether it's, whether it's in a family setting or a church setting. Maybe it can even, this, boy, this happens in the corporate world all the time. It just, they don't, they're not even, they're, they're not Christians. They're not even, don't even realize it, right? But as Christians, we have to be on our guard because the enemy can come in and try to get a voice. And, and, and I, talk to these par- I talk to parents sometimes, and, 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 and the way the bitterness manifests itself between parent and child is, I raised this child, I, my, you know, my, 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 you know, a single income family so that mom could be home and try to disciple and invest in her children. And they pour their whole life out. And then the child gets old enough and turns around and walks off and leaves everything. And the parent feels like, how could they? After all that I gave and all that I did, how could this child walk away from God after all that I invested and all that I did? And there's a, and there's a bitterness there. Yes, they, it's not that they don't love their child. So you can love someone and still hold bitterness towards them. I think that's where we're sometimes like, well, I love them, so I'm not bitter. It's like, well, I can love them and I can hold on to bitterness. And I have to allow God to deal with the bitterness. I'll tell you a story. I remember I shared this message on bitterness and forgiveness. And after I finished sharing, I gave an opportunity for those that wanted to forgive and to release hurts. Gave them an opportunity to do that. And I keep carrying it just to release it to God. And, and, and after that time, a couple of days later, someone came up to me and they said, um, they, when I shared this message, it was a mom. She had raised her, her, her children, I think, in a conservative Christian home. But one of her sons, as soon as he got old enough, he was out of there. I mean, he just left, joined the military, said he was an atheist, and just left wholesale. And she said, for three years, I believe if I understood correctly, three years with no contact between mom and son. Three years. No contact between them. And of course, the mother's heart's broken over this, right? And she said, but as she, was, as she was hearing, she was realizing that she had some bitterness towards her son for just walking out. And so she said, she, 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 when we gave me the opportunity to forgive, she prayed and she forgave and she released her son to the Lord. Well, she said, look at this. She'd done that late morning, early afternoon, that night. She said, look at this. And she, turned, she showed me on her phone. Maybe she didn't think I'd believe her. She showed me on her phone and it was on WhatsApp. And she said, look, and that night, her son messaged her on WhatsApp and said, Mom, Mother's Day's coming up, and I'm coming, and I'm going to take you out to eat, and it's going to be good. Isn't that amazing? No, it doesn't always work out that way, but isn't it amazing? See, I think sometimes when we're holding on to bitterness, we're like, God, change the person. God, judge the person. God, work in the person's life. And God's like, you first. 
right? It's always me first that God has to deal with. And we're like, God, this person, they're so wrong. And God's like, but so am I if I'm holding on. Like, so are you if you're holding on to bitterness, right? And we're like, God, work in their life. And God changed them. And God's like, you first. And I believe that sometimes God waits to work into someone's life until we forgive and release them to him. Sometimes God waits because see, the person I'm responsible for is the one sitting in my chair. And that I would forgive them and I would release them to the Lord. God's not limited. God's not bound. But it seems like sometimes God's like, I'm going to leave this pressure in your life until you forgive, until you release, because that bitterness is not good for your soul. Boy, bitterness doesn't look good on a Christian. Bitterness does not look good on a Christian. And sometimes the reason the world has made a mock of Christians is because Christians have been so bitter and so angry and so divided. And, but when we forgive and we release those things to the Lord, there's a tremendous freedom that can come. And then God works in the situation, and that was a more dramatic, and I'm sure there was more things that needed to happen in that situation, and it doesn't always happen that way. But you know, somebody said, duty is ours, consequence is God's. Our responsibility is to forgive. Our responsibility is to release it to the Lord. God says, I'll take care of the results. You forgive. You release them to me. And sometimes we hold on to these things so tightly that we feel like they start to become a part of us. And God wants us to release it and say, okay, Lord, here it is. I surrender it to you. I forgive them and I release them and I don't keep carrying it. You know, scripture says in Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness, there's that word all again, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. God wants us to put away all bitterness. Sometimes I think we're, we feel justified in holding on to a little bit of bitterness. It's kind of like, did you know a drop of poison will kill you just as much as a cup, right? We can't just to, to not hold on to it, to not allow a little root of it in our life, but to put away all bitterness. So what's God's victorious solution? What is God's victorious solution for freedom from bitterness? And aren't you glad God has made a way? I'll give you a clue about what the God's victorious solution is. His name's Jesus. Here's what the scripture says. Ephesians 4.32, the verse after talking about putting away all bitterness, it says, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. It says in Colossians 3.13, almost the same thing. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, as even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Okay? So, so in other words, it says in Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let me ask you this. How many of you has God forgiven your sins? Can I see your hand? Okay, good. Amen. So if God has forgiven your sins, why? Why did God forgive your sins? According to this verse. Let me read it again. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So why did God forgive your sins? For Christ's sake. God forgave us for Christ's sake. See, because I think some of the things we can struggle when it comes to forgiveness, because this can be a hard thing because it touches something really deep in our heart. And we're like, God, they don't deserve to be forgiven for what they did. And you know what? You're probably right. But neither did I. Did God forgive us because we deserved it? No. Why did he forgive us? For Christ's sake. And then he says here, for the same reason that God forgave you, you forgive others. So he said, God forgave you for Christ's sake, so why do you forgive the person that hurt you? Same reason. For Christ's sake. 
you say, now boy, this is a tough one. I'm not going to lie. It's a hard one. This is, this is tough stuff. But aren't you glad that God has a way of victory and freedom and healing? I know this has been heavy, but God has an answer. His name is Jesus. But you know, one hard one, one hard one can be, they don't know what they did. They don't know how what they said hurt me. They don't know how what they did or didn't do. They've gone on their merry little life and they don't know how what they said and how it stuck with me and how what has happened. And I, they just, they don't know what they did. They don't even know. They're not even sorry. They don't even know what they did. But why did, did God forgive you because you realized the full extent of what you had done? No, honestly, I think to this day, we do not realize the full extent of how our sin affected God. God forgave us before. Remember on the cross, it was mentioned earlier, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. God forgave us before we knew the extent of what we had done. So we don't forgive because someone realizes the full extent of how they hurt us. We forgive them for Christ's sake. You would say, well, they're never going to ask. Boy, you come to a lot of freedom when you forgive without being asked. You, they may never ask. But did God forgive us because we asked? No, he forgave us for Christ's sake. So why do we forgive? For the same reason, for Christ's sake. To accept an apology that you may never get. To forgive and to release the person. Not because they deserve it. Not because they're sorry. Not because they realize what they've done. But for Christ's sake. Now I asked early, how many of you God had forgiven your sins? And almost every hand went up. But let me ask this. How many of you has God forgiven the sins of the person that hurt you? He has, right? Scripture says, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Not everyone receives it, but God has made the forgiveness available to everyone. So if God's forgiven them and I withhold forgiveness, then I am saying something different than what God is saying. See, we need to realize that the power to forgive is found in the person of Christ. That just as Jesus forgives, he enables us to forgive. That, 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 in other words, he says, you forgive for Christ's sake. There's a story told of Corey Ten Boom and just the tremendous trials and the difficulties that, that she walked through in the Nazi concentration camps. And she talks about when she came through on the other side of it and she was, she was traveling around telling me in, in the, you know, the areas that have been so torn by war and bitterness and hardship. And she went around talking about the love of Jesus and how God takes our sins and he casts it from the east into the west. You know, one of the famous things Corey Temmum said is that God's thrown our sins into the ocean and put up an old fishing sign, right? That, that, that he has made a way for us to be free. And, 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 she, and she had shared some of these things one time for a group and, and a man came up and, and right away she recognized him. They'd been one of the officers at, at, at Ravensbrook, the, the concentration camp where she had been. And this officer had been particularly cruel. Remember, her daughter died in this concentration camp because of the cruelty and the hardship. And, and, and this man comes up, and she said she just felt so cold towards him. Like she felt so, no, no, no <laughs> warm feelings, just cold. And, and, he, and he walked. Remember, she just preached about the love. Of, she just shared with the group about the love of Jesus, right? Now this man comes up, and he says, basically, he says, to her, he says, ma'am, you know, since the, since the war, I've, I've, um, I, 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 you know, I, I, you, you may not remember me, but she did remember him. He's like, you may not remember me. I was one of the officers in the concentration camp, but since then I, I've basically, I've gotten saved and I know God's forgiven me, but I want to hear that you forgive me too. And he put out his hand and she said she felt nothing like zero, like completely cold towards him. But she was like, Lord, I can't forgive him, but I can put out my hand and you're going to have to do the rest. And she reached out her hand. She said when she took his hand, it was like the love and forgiveness of God washed over her. And she said, I forgive you with all my heart, brother. 
See, as we say, okay, yes, Lord. See, as we say yes to him, maybe you're like, boy, this hurt is deep and I don't think I can forgive it. You're right, but he can. You can't, but he can. And if you're like, God, I can't do it, then tell him that. He knows and say, God, you are going to have to empower me to do what I could never do on my own. And by faith, I'm going to take the step and I'm going to forgive and I'm going to release them, trusting that you will do in me what I could never do on my own. Remember what Joseph, (coughs) think about what all he walked through. If you want to talk about family dysfunction, it was rough. And the betrayal and the hurt and the pain and all the things that he walked through. And, and, And finally, he, 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 you know, he gets taken, you know, first like, oh, we're going to kill you. And then, oh, we won't kill you. We'll, we'll have mercy and sell you into slavery. I mean, it's rough, right? It was really tough. And he gets sold into slavery and, 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 and he's enslaved. And then he gets, you know, then he gets risen to a really high position. Like, oh, we see why God allowed it to happen. And then poof, he gets falsely accused and he's there in the prison. I mean, talk about hurt after hurt after hurt. Remember how the hymn writer said when sorrows like sea billows roll, right? Well, Joseph felt those sea billows, didn't he? And finally he's there and he's in the prison and all, he walks through all these things and the trials and the difficulties. And then we know that God supernaturally turned the situation around, but it's amazing to see in the end what he said, what he was able to tell his brothers, what you meant for evil, God used for good. And boy, I think God will write that over our life if we'll forgive him at least the hurts to him. You know, it's interesting. One of his sons, I believe it was Manasseh. He had Ephraim and Manasseh too. I think it was Manasseh. His name meant God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. See, if we forgive and we release these things to the Lord, God can make us fruitful in the land of our affliction. That if we forgive and we, and we take it to the Lord, as, as I close out here, if we forgive and we take it to the Lord and we say, enough's enough. I'm not going to keep carrying this. I'm not going to keep holding on to it. Because when we hold on to it, remember, holding on to the bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies, the person damages, the person that destroys is us. And we come to that place of saying, okay, Lord, I forgive. I release them to you. I am not going to carry this anymore. And by by your grace, by your power, we can't do it in our own strength. This is one of those ones that brings us to the end of ourselves and brings us to realization or need for Jesus to do it in and through us. So we cast it and say, Lord, I just pray you would help me. <clears throat> and do through me what I could never do on my own. And then we take that person to the Lord and we forgive them and we release them. You know, one thing that I've noticed about the Jesus kind of forgiveness that's so much bigger than a human forgiveness is it goes beyond just, I forgive them, right? Let me ask you this. Did Jesus just say, I forgive you, but I don't want to see another thing of your face? <laughs> no, what did he do? Not only did he forgive us, but this is amazing. Scripture says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only did God forgive us of our measurable sin, but he blessed us. And boy, when you come to the place of not just forgiving the person, which is a huge step, but then praying and asking God to bless them. Scripture says, bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. And pray for those that despite believe you and persecute you. And then we pray for them, right? Jesus, Scripture says, he ever lives and makes intercession for us. Remember on the cross even, he's praying for the people killing him. So we, 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 we pray and we forgive the person. I think what, 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 what and what I'm actually gonna, as, as they come to do the invitation him here in a minute, what I wanna encourage you is if God's touched your heart and you know, like the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work in your heart and you're like, yep, I know who it is. I know what it is. I know multiple people that it is that I need to forgive and I need to release. I want to encourage you, don't walk out the door still carrying it. Take it to the Lord and say, okay, Lord. First of all, I think the first step 
is to go to the Lord and say, Lord, would you forgive me to holding on to bitterness? Acknowledging bitterness is sin. I think sometimes we feel like, oh, I'm not bitter, I'm just hurt. <laughs> right? We don't want to call it bitterness because that sounds like sin, because it is. But we need to acknowledge it for what it is. God, yes, the person was wrong. Yes, that there needs to be maybe different things in that person's life, but, but I need to realize that I was wrong in holding on to bitterness. So I get cool, Lord, would you forgive me for holding on to bitterness? And then just praying, Lord, I forgive. And saying the person's name, it's not a matter of semantics and saying just the right words, but there is something about, Lord, I forgive them and I release them to you. And not holding on to it anymore, not keeping carrying it, and then taking it even a step further and saying, Father, I ask that you would bless them. And you're like, but what if he does? He might. But you know what? As you forgive and you bless them and you pray for them, you know what will happen? You will be free. And I understand that dealing with bitterness, especially if it's a deep bitterness, it's not an overnight thing. It's not like, but, the, but, but this is where it starts. This is the first step to healing. In many ways, if it's a wound that goes really deep and it's festered for a long time, but I forgive them is opening the wound up. It's saying, okay, Lord, I'm not going to keep carrying them. I forgive them. I release them. And that allows the Lord as a great physician to begin to bring healing in that area. I understand that the healing process takes time, but there's that, there's that initial need to open the wound to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, you're the great physician. I forgive them. I release them to you. And I ask that you would bring healing in this area in the way that only you can. And then there's that journey of forgiveness. Every time the situation comes to mind, we remind, no, I've forgiven them and I'm not picking it back up. I've released them to the Lord and we keep reaffirming the fact that we've forgiven them and we begin to walk free from bitterness. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, and then I'm, they'll come and do the invitation hymn. And I just encourage you, if God's touched your heart and you're like, there's someone I need to forgive, don't, don't walk out the door carrying it. Just take some time. Get on your knees if you need to, but say, God, I forgive them and I release them to you and I ask that you would bless them. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for each one of these precious people. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing in all of our hearts and lives. And Lord, this message has been so heavy, but it's so important because if, if, we, if we carry bitterness, it, it defiles us and it comes between us and you. So Father, I pray you'd enable all of us to live free from bitterness. I pray if there's different ones that it's come to their mind and their heart, somebody they need to forgive, would you empower them to do it? To forgive and to release those that have hurt them. To not keep holding on to bitterness. And Father, I just pray that you would take back any ground that's been given over the enemy through bitterness in each one's heart and life. And I just pray that this would be just a, a significant turning point, not because we, we heard a message or came to a meeting, but because we heard from you and because you touched our hearts. And because there was, there was, there was forgiveness and, and a responding to your grace and what you're doing in this. And so we just thank you, Father, and we just acknowledge our great need for you and pray that you would work in this time in the way that only you can. And we just acknowledge you have forgiven us of so much. How can we not that, extend that to our brother? So would you bless us and empower us by your spirit to do what we could ever do on our own, and that's forgiven to release hearts and to walk free from bitterness. Thank you for the freedom available in Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen.